Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for today is Luke 17, 11 through 19, and it's on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. For the past few weeks, we've been thinking about returning. As we've contemplated our own return to our building, we have read about the prodigal son returning home to his family, Jesus returning to Nazareth and his home place of worship, Lydia bringing all of her river gang back to her house for dinner. And last week, we read about the Israelites returning to Jerusalem after exile. In each of these stories, we've been thinking about coming home. Whether home is a welcoming place or a hostile place, a new place or an old, old place, the thing each of these stories have in common is the sense that the place of return is home. But in today's story, the place of return is more complicated. For starters, the author of Luke seems to be bad at geography. For example, he gives us the setting of the story, the region between Galilee and Samaria. But that region does not exist. Galilee and Samaria bordered each other. So that would be like saying we were traveling in the region between Texas and Oklahoma. And then Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and is taking this imaginary route between Galilee and Samaria. But that would be like saying we were traveling to Abilene by way of Houston. It doesn't really make sense. So is Luke simply bad with maps? Maybe, but perhaps he's using geography not so much for the sake of accuracy, 
but rather for theological reasons. One of my seminary professors said to always read the Bible with a map of the ancient lands in your hand because the geography itself will tell you stories. So in the same way that before HGTV, Waco used to only be known for a cult standoff in the 90s, places like Samaria and Jerusalem would set off alarm bells in our heads and trigger stories. So let's start with Galilee. Jesus is a man from Galilee, as Johnny Cash used to sing. Nazareth, to be exact. And if you remember, some people, when they heard about this man from Nazareth performing miracles, asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's not an impressive place, but it is a Jewish place. And remember a few weeks back when we read of Jesus returning home to Nazareth, to his synagogue. Everything Jesus did was in the bosom of Judaism. He was born Jewish and he died Jewish. And then there's Samaria, which is a very strange place. We don't spend a lot of time in Samaria in scripture, but we do encounter a few noteworthy Samaritans. The gospel writers looked skeptically upon Samaritans. They would never say it outright, but we can assume they were wondering, can anything good come from Samaria? Samaritans and Judeans have a lot of hostility over worship. And it stems from experiences in exile that we won't dive into, but trust me when I say they worshiped God in a very different way. And people get really sticky about the ways we worship God. And if you remember the Samaritan woman at the well, her story told in the Gospel of John, you'll remember that she has lots of theological questions for Jesus. She asks them about one of the points of contention between Samaritans and Judeans, the site of temple worship. Israelites say it's Jerusalem, but we Samaritans say it's Mount Gerizim. Which one is it, she asks. And meanwhile, all the disciples are scandalized by Jesus talking to a woman. The text literally says they were surprised to find Jesus talking to a woman which I'd love to have a shirt that says that. <laughs> the, the disciples are scandalized, but Jesus is unfazed. He's engaging with her, right? He asks for a drink of water, a big cultural boundary crossing. He inquires about her painful past, her life, dependent on the carousel of men she must marry in order to avoid destitution as a single woman. And he listens to her theological inquiries. And after her encounter with Jesus, she becomes a missionary to her people. This Samaritan surprises us all. And then we have the famous parable of the Good Samaritan. A Jewish man is on his way to Jericho and is badly beaten and left in the ditch to die. Three people pass by, but only one helps the man. And the person who helps the man is not the professional lawyer, an emblem of the legal system, and it's not the priest, an emblem of the religious system. It's the Samaritan, the one we'd least suspect. The one that perhaps the Jewish man in the ditch would have avoided had they met in different circumstances. The Samaritan risks his own safety and dignity and gives of his own resources to help this stranger. And we learn from these stories that of all the people we might expect 
to be the one who understands what Jesus is about is the one we'd never expect. It's the one we'd actually expect to maybe ruin everything that ends up surprising us all with salvation. And it's with these stories fresh on our minds that we come to our story today. So Jesus is metaphorically walking in that in-between space, the imaginary place between the borders of Galilee and Samaria, the sureness of home and the suspicion of Samaria. And he's on his way to Jerusalem, the text tells us. Well, we've already covered that Jerusalem by way of this border is not plausible. But if we're thinking about geography theologically, then we know Jerusalem is supposed to set off alarm bells too. I know all of you Bible scholars know that if Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, he's on his way to the cross. Everything that happens on his way to Jerusalem is colored by what will happen in Jerusalem. So it is with all of this historical and geographical and that those are the only words I had written, geographical and historical context, just getting it all, that we read that Jesus comes upon a village, just like Nicole said. And as he gets to the edge of it, he encounters a group of 10 people with leprosy. And they call out to Jesus for mercy, careful to keep the prescribed distance as detailed by religious law that helped mitigate spread of disease. Sound familiar? And Jesus, full of mercy, sends them on their way to the priest to be okayed for return to normal life. But even before they make it to the priest, they're healed. And one turns back. And we find out, dun-dun-dun, he's a Samaritan. And this man thanks Jesus profusely for his healing, and Jesus expresses surprise that it's a Samaritan who returns. And then Jesus asks a series of seemingly dumb questions, such as, well, where are the other nine? Well, Jesus, they're on the way to the priest like you told them. Well, is only the Samaritan who has returned? Well, Jesus, it, it does look like that way because, as we noted before, the others are doing what you told them to do. But something tells me that Jesus wasn't interested in the answers to his questions, so much as asking the question out loud. There were ten, and only one came back, and it's the Samaritan. Is that clear to everyone here, he seems to be asking? It's like when a parent, not my parent, would ask you questions that they knew the answer to as a way to make you tremble in your boots. Is it 2 a.m.? Are you just getting home? Did you call? They knew those answers. They said so much with those questions. On the surface, this story of one leper returning seems to be a simple lesson of gratitude. Be grateful for the work of God in your life. Always say thank you. But if you remember the context in history and geography from a few minutes ago, we realize that this story is about much more than gratitude. 
It's about the reign of God breaking down all of our carefully constructed boundaries and walls and ways of understanding the world. It's about mountains and valleys becoming prairie lands. It's about lions and lambs becoming friends. It's about the last being made first and the first being made last. It's about a topsy-turvy kingdom, a world turned upside down to be made right side up. But maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's scoot back for a second. We know from other Samaritan stories from the fact that Jesus himself called this man a foreigner, that Samaritans are othered in scripture. They're often demonized. They're seen as a threat to the religious establishment, to the respectability of what they're trying to do there. They're seen as heretics and at the very least, weirdos. I mean, Mount Gerizim, come on. But in this story, where Jesus asks a series of questions, a question is posed back to us. Who gets what Jesus is about? Do you see it? Jesus is asking us. Do you see who is the one who turned back? And the answer seems to be the other the one we'd least suspect, the one that the very religious people have made other. We don't run into a whole lot of Samaritans here in Azel, but I think that we could conjure up some pretty good equivalents. And it's helpful to remember in this encounter where Jesus is headed, to Jerusalem, to the cross. Jesus ends up being the ultimate other, being made so by the very religious people and state authorities. It's almost as if he's saying along the way, this is my kin. These are my people. I am one of them. And it's not that the healing is just for the Samaritan. Right? All 10 of the people with leprosy, leprosy were healed, and they were welcomed back into their families and their neighborhoods after seeing the priest. Thanks be to God. But this one who turned back, who returned to Jesus, his faith has made him whole. He returns because he has found in Jesus, in this place of in-between, as Luke proposes, a home, a belonging a wholeness and integration that he could not have dreamed so that there's more at stake than a physical healing. The song Nicole just sang a few minutes ago, River, is a secular song. But for those of us who are Christians, we hear it with memories of baptism. It's a call to return to a place of not just healing, of not just washing our sins away, but also to a place of belonging, a place of wholeness and integration we dare not even hope for. Because for us, baptism is an initiation into a wide, wide community that transcends time and space, that connects us with the communion of saints, that stretches across the ethers of existence to wrap us all into a big bear hug.
And it's the means of grace, the baptismal movement when the grace of God washes over us, encompassing every part of us, drenching us in new life. All the lines we draw or we drew are gone. All the walls we've built cannot withstand the torrential flood of God's grace in this world. So that baptism is that place of in-between for us. It's happening here and now. The water will eventually dry off. But baptism is also something we're always caught up in. Because like the Samaritan, we are somehow caught in the gravitational pull of Jesus. Even when it wrecks our religious sensibilities, even when it delays our return to normal life, we are somehow pulled into his vortex of grace. I'm reminded of that spiritual as I went down to the river to pray. And it asks the question over and over again, who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. And we might be surprised by God's answer to who understands that the kingdom of God is changing everything, is changing our landscape. But may our return to Jesus be a reminder of our baptism of our place in God's family, that we are so very special. And also so is everyone else. And when we are like those who might be scandalized by who Jesus is talking to, may God's grace turn our hearts once again to the scandal of Jesus, the way of the cross the habit of walking through these in-between spaces, in between Galilee and Samaria. May the grace of God wash over us again and again. Good Lord, show us the way. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.